Today is the final Sunday of uh, our series in the five uh, uh, solas of the Reformation, and I hope it's been helpful to you. Today we're going to look at Soli Deo Gloria, and in your bulletin I printed a section uh, that I think is going to be a little unique for this. It's uh, out of Revelation, and I, I, I just grouped, it's too much to read, so I, I picked out the pertinent passages that I'm going to cover and uh, put them together, and so they're in your bulletin printed, they're easy to follow, and I would invite you to read along uh, uh, with me as, as I read out loud these words from the book of Revelation, starting in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of life, of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, which its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the, tr- the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the Word of the Lord. The solas of the Reformation are what the Reformation was built on. They are the foundation, the pillars, if you will. And this final one that we're going to look at, Soli Deo Gloria, means for the glory of God alone. 
Now, Jonathan Edwards, many of you know this great uh, 16th, 17th century uh, scholar considered to be perhaps the most brilliant man that ever lived in the continental United States, wrote uh, many, many things. But one of the things he wrote is called The End for Which God Created the World. Perhaps some of you have read it. The End for Which God Created the World. It's a treatise. And look, I have to make a confession, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed, but I, I will make the confession. I don't understand Jonathan Edwards. When I read these guys, a lot of these older authors, and Jonathan Edwards is one of them, I get lost after the first four or five words. I'm just not sure what they're talking about. I try. I go back and read it over and over. So I really need help. And what I did is I went to John Piper's book, which is God's Passion for His Glory, which many of you may have. Uh, that book. And Dr. Piper explains Jonathan Edwards to the simple-minded people. (laughs) Sort of. Because even he's hard to understand. But basically, here it is. Let me give it to you in a nutshell. And and, uh, uh, Edwards insists in his treatise, The End for Which God Created the World, he insists that the reason Listen carefully. The reason for God's creation is not primarily human happiness, but rather the magnification of His own glory, God's own glory, and His name. Now, at first blush, that may seem a little bit uh, selfish. Well, you know, God's praising Himself. But listen carefully, because if God is God, and He is everything, right, Edward says this, since true happiness exists in God alone, which it can, we wouldn't know what happiness was apart from God. Since ultimate or true happiness exists in God alone, our happiness, any happiness or glory that we expect to experience in our lifetime is an extension of God's happiness, of God's glory what he calls ultimate or chief ends. That's what the treatise is entitled. John Piper even has had the temerity. Now, we can excuse him because he's a Baptist. But John Piper has even had the temerity to suggest that we change the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Catch your breath. The first question What is the chief end of man? What's the answer? You all know the answer. And enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And Piper has the temerity to say we should change and to buy. Man's chief end is to glorify God. Listen, buy. Enjoying Him forever. That the means for our glory, that which was lost in the garden, the means for our happiness, the means for ultimate fulfillment, every one of us looks for something that is going to fulfill us. Career, money, relationships, approval, power, whatever it is. Think about whatever your thing is. Maybe there's more than one. Whatever that is. And what John Piper and Jonathan Edwards are saying is that man's chief end is to glorify, find their glory, find their identity, soli deo gloria, in God alone. For the glory of God alone. 
And so in verse 1 of this chapter 21, we see the end for which God created the world. Listen, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first had passed away, and the sea was no more. And what John is simply saying, it's not that there's not going to be any oceans. There will be oceans. There will be stars. There will be sun. There will be moon. But remember, he's using figurative language. And what the sea was, was the source in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East. The sea was tohu vabohu. It was the chaos, the formless and void. Imagine, we don't have all our science and technology. And you look out into the ocean and you see these stars storms and the, the turbid water bouncing and urging storms and, and the storms rising up and moving in. That was the gods. Those were the monsters. The dragons. And John even saw in his vision a dragon coming out of the sea. The sea was the source of evil. And that is why in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God hovered over Tohu Vabohu. And He brought order to chaos. And said, light be. Light be. And light was. And tohu v'boho, the chaos, was stilled and brought into order by God's glory and His Word. Amazing. So this morning, we're going to look at three things. And and the, the basic structure for this came from Dr. Richard Baucom and his little New Testament theology. Uh, and I, I can't tell you how much I recommend this. If you love really good, I mean good scholarship, and you want to look into what the book of Revelation really means, not the nonsense that you hear on TV. That stuff is garbage. Do not listen. Turn it off. Yes? Say yes. Okay, please turn it off. And read something that makes sense, that's really biblical and makes sense. We're going to look at the end for which God created the world, solideo gloria, a place, a people, and a presence. And I'm borrowing that from Dr. Bauckham. But a place, a people, and a presence. First, let's look at the place. The place is a garden, paradise restored. That is what 21 and 22 are all about. Look at verse 22, verse 1. There was a river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing out of the throne of God. You see, there's this new city, this new Jerusalem. And in the city, there is water, a river of water flowing out and watering the earth. This is a direct reference to Genesis 2.10 where God created in the original garden a a river that flowed out of Eden. Now remember, in the cosmology of Moses, there was the Garden of Eden and then around the Garden of Eden was the Land of Eden and around the Land of Eden was everything else. And the original commission to mankind was... They're in the garden, 
their living with complete fulfillment, is to be fruitful and multiply and go out of the garden into Eden, into the world, and plenish. It doesn't mean replenish. The Hebrew word means, it actually should be translated, plenish the earth. Fill it up with my image. In other words, make more of me in the world that is still, in some sense, formless and void. It's still tohu bohu out there. But in the garden, which was in Eden, which was a bigger circle, was this river of life, bright as crystal, flowing out into the land, watering the land. And John sees it again. The new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem is a new creation. Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel is a hard book to get your head around, but think of it now in maybe different terms. In Ezekiel 47, he sees a vision of this temple. We're going to talk about it in a minute. And out of the temple is a water trickling out. And Ezekiel is told by the angel who's giving him the vision, he says, let's go out a thousand meters from the temple, or a thousand cubits. And they go out a thousand cubits, and then Ezekiel measures the water. See, it starts as a trickle, but a thousand uh, cubits out, now it's ankle deep. And the angel says, let's go another thousand cubits. And they move a little further out into Eden. And now... It's knee-deep. And they move a little further, another thousand cubits, and now it's waist-deep. And they move another thousand cubits, and now it's deep enough that you can swim in this river, crystal, pure, watering. Remember, they lived in a desert. They lived in El Paso. Living water flowing out of paradise to water the new heavens, the new earth, the new creation. This is what John is seeing. And, and the tree of life, look at 21, uh, the, the second verse. 21, it says, By the sides of the river are these trees, the tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit. It's difficult to interpret uh, or translate in Greek, but it could mean 12 trees, could mean 12 kinds of fruit. It, it's, it's not easy to say. But whatever it was, there are this river, we don't know if the, if, the, if the river was here and the trees were on either side or if the trees are on one side. and we, we don't know exactly what he meant, but he saw a forest of trees producing fruit. And the leaves were for the healing of the nations. Think about that. Plug that in for a second. The healing of the nations. In other words, John is seeing the place for which you and I were created. The ultimate, the chief end, the glory, solideo gloria. The place where we are to live and find our true home. Again, in Genesis Chapter 2, it says that the Lord planted a garden. The Lord planted that garden in the east of Eden. Okay? In the east of Eden, He planted this garden. Jesus said, I go to prepare what? A place for you. Room. We, we think mansions. We think, you know, we're all going to have separate houses. And some of us hope that there are separate houses because we don't want to live with each other. 
what he's really meaning is, I'm going to prepare a place that's suitable for you. I'm going to make it so that you can be there because that's where I'm going to be. And it's a place with lots of rooms or room. In other words, you're going to be with me. He's not going to be in the big house over there. He's going to be with us and we're going to be with Him. I don't know how it works. I don't care. As long as I'm there. Right? I mean, I don't know how it's going to work. I'm sure we're not going to be like this, you know, trying to fit. It's going to have plenty of room. Glorious. There's no night, no sea, the monsters, the chaos, the darkness. No night gone. That doesn't mean that after 24 hours a day there's going to be light, so we're like, you know, we're going to be out of our minds with light. No. It's saying that darkness is no longer going to be what darkness is. It's figurative, it's metaphorical. Darkness. There's not going to be anything that is going to impede you looking directly at God and seeing His glory. That for which every human being that has ever been created, that has ever known, that's what we want. Don't you want that? Don't you want to know Him just like that? Instead of all the things, think of all the things that are in between us and God, even on our best days. Even when you've had the greatest devotional, the greatest prayer time in the world, there's still something. And he's saying all that darkness will be gone and there will be light. Now you'll see clearly. Intimacy is restored. Look at the third verse of 21. Behold, he says, the dwelling place of God is with men and He will dwell with them. The word is tabernacle. It's it's He's going to make His tent with us like He did in the wilderness with Moses and like He did with David in Jerusalem and Solomon with the temple and like He's done now with us coming to dwell with us in our hearts, in our lives, in our very being. And in a moment we're going to have the, the, the wedding feast of the Lamb or at least a foretaste of it right here. We're actually going to dwell with Him, commune with Him. Amazing. I don't know how... I don't know how we don't get excited. And, and look, and more. The curse is removed. Look what he says in 22, verse 3. No longer anything accursed. You remember he told Adam and Eve, the ground is cursed. In other words, everything. He didn't curse Adam and Eve. You need to understand that. He placed no curse on them. But he did curse the ground or the creation. The cosmos was cursed for their sake. And so there was only thorns and thistles and sweat of the brow. And work didn't give us the satisfaction. I worked for years. I'm, I'm going on my, I don't know, my, let's, I started working when I was 12 years old. I got my first job. And I never stopped working till now. I'm six, how many years is that? 50. That was hard. Hard math. 50 years I've worked. And I can tell you I've had good jobs. I love my job right now. But it's never, ever brought me a moment of true peace down in my soul. Right? Can't. Never will. But he's saying the curse is removed. Isaiah said the wolf would lie down with the lamb, the leopard with the young goat, the calf, the lion, the fattened calf. They'll all live together. The child will lead them. And the nursing child will play at the den of the cobra. Actually put his hand into the snake's den. But it won't bite. 
amazing, this, this view of the end world that, that for which God created. Soli Deo Gloria. Do you see it? Amazing. And there's more. He doesn't stop with paradise. He goes to a city. The holy city. Look at 21. I saw the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. This is why I've told you I don't know how many times in this church. Heaven is not your home. Write that in the front of your Bible. Heaven is not your home. Heaven is only temporary. Heaven is coming here and us with it to a new creation, heaven and earth recreated. Yes, there's going to be music and joy and eating and dancing. Even Presbyterians are going to dance in heaven. Even we Presbyterians are going to have tambourines and stuff and be jumping around and hollering like real worshipers of God. All right, I'm kidding around. Don't give give me those stares. How dare you? All right, look. Think about it. There's going to be art and beauty and music and food and relationships and love and animals. There's going to be everything you can imagine in the new creation and more. But without sin, all the glory, all the life, all the love that we've ever wanted, a holy city protection, security, community will thrive. There will be peace and security. Why did they build uh, cities? They built cities because it was dangerous to live in that world. You had to fortify cities and put up very strong gates because there were bad people in the world. And you didn't have the internet to tell you they were coming. They would just show up one day. You'd wake up and go out with your cup of coffee, your Starbucks, and you'd look outside. Oh my God, the Assyrians are here. What do we do now? And what he's saying is, there's perfect protection. In fact, in this city, you can go on and read it in the rest of these two chapters, the gates are open all the time. Day and night, they don't even close the gates. To the ancient world, that would have been, wow, we are totally secure. And the kings and the nations, you know, all the strife, think of the strife we have in our world and always have had. Nations hating nations, races hating, hating other races, people with money oppressing people without money, uh, pe- people that, uh, uh, that, that like Starbucks hating people that like Folgers. And looking down their nose at them. Coffee snobs. And I'm one of them, so I'm... But, but I mean, think about it. all the things, the serious things that, that separate us, the tension of marriage. The tension of relationships, employer, employer, all of those now made perfect, now made good, now made well. He shall judge between the nations, Isaiah said. He shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up Sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. We have some beautiful, wonderful people in our church who put their lives on the line every day in our military and in our police forces. We had our dear Matt Perdue go, I won't even tell you where he is, but it's dangerous where he is right now. And he's in the fight. 
He's not off somewhere in some protected place in Iraq. He's in the hot part of it. And before he left, I had lunch with him. And this sweet man whose heart is as Christian as you'll ever see in your life is having to go over there and do what is unspeakable. And many of you know what I'm talking about. Think of it. What this means. No more war. No more conflict. Soli Deo Gloria. Human aspirations. All the things that drive us apart. Gone. And the temple. There's no temple, but there is a temple. There's no temple, but there is a temple. The temple is God Himself and the Lamb. In Ezekiel chapter 40, you remember I was talking about that temple? There's these four chapters in Ezekiel. In fact, my brother and I have talked about this. Ezekiel 40 through 43. Very, very difficult passages. It gives dimensions. It gives inches and and meters and cubits and every kind of for four agonizing, agonizingly detailed chapters. Drives scholars nutty. Unless you listen to me and read the scholars that are right. Anyway, all right. I'm kidding. Please, I'm joking. You all know, right? I'm really not joking. I'm deadly serious. <laughs> listen to what G.K. Beale says in his message. I could have brought, con- brought my commentary, the, his one book, with me, but I didn't have a dolly that could lift it. It's like this thick. Listen to what he says. Ezekiel 40 through 43, these four agonizingly detailed chapters, nobody's figured it out yet. The temple is agonizingly described and detailed in four full chapters. But John, listen, John summarizes it, fulfills it in one brief passage. John says of Ezekiel 40 through 43, these four massive chapters of description of a temple. John does it in one brief passage. No temple, for its temple is the Lord Almighty and the Lamb. You see, whatever Ezekiel saw was so glorious that we don't even know if it could be built. And John says, I know what that was. That's this. That is the temple of God Himself and Jesus, the Lamb Himself. Worship is perfected. Every impediment, all the unclean. Instead of of layer after layer, think about what you know, folks, about the temple. Layer after layer, gates and walls. Everything to keep you and me away from God. And then once you get through all of those layers... Then there's a building with a door. And, and you couldn't get in that door unless you were even a tinier little group of people. And then you got inside the door and you could only make your way part of the way forward inside the building. And then it was a tinier. Zadokites. Priests. Zadokites. And then once a year, only one of them, once a year, goes through this massively thick curtain. And they just peel it enough just so he can squeeze in because they don't dare open it all the way. The glory that would pour out would have incinerated the universe. So they just crack it open. He goes in this one guy with his knees knocking and a little bit of blood and he quickly gets out. 
Every impediment is removed in this city. There's not even a temple. Why? Because the Lord God and what you have access to Him, hundred percent. You can go right up to Him, hop up in His lap, throw your arms around His neck, and say, "Abba, Father." And when you do, He Himself will brush away those tears, whatever they are. A recreated. Solideo Gloria, worship. What about the people in the place? Let me go quickly here. The people are contrasted in the book of Revelation many places, but in 21 and 22, with people who are outside. They are outside the city, outside the New Jerusalem, whatever you want to make of that, whatever you think that is, hell or destruction or the void or whatever. But they are outside in John's cosmology of the end, outside, and he calls them dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And I heard a loud voice, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. And he says, The dwelling of God is with Metaton Athropon. He says, not just man, humankind. He uses the word for all people everywhere. Now, unless you get nervous and say, oh, is he saying, is he talking about universal, everybody gets saved? No, what he's saying is that now there's no longer race and divisions of who people are and you know how much money. No, it's all humanity from this huge pool of humanity, from the good looking to the ugly. From the rich to the poor, from the slave to the free, to the male to the female, all humanity is dwelling with God. And He will dwell with them and be His people. Here, I don't like to use too much Greek in church, but here He says, the, the laoi, the laoi. And He uses the Old Testament word for the covenant people. That word's only used for the covenant people of God. Not any people, but the covenant people. That's us. Those who have put our trust in Jesus. He will dwell with His people. His Lord. God Himself will be their God. I will be His God. He will be my Son. Now, unless you ladies get nervous and say, well, you know, does he mean only men? No. Son was another one of those old world words that applied to women as well. And what it's saying to the ladies is, listen to this, ladies. What it's saying is that you will inherit the same way a son in the ancient world inherit. You see, in the ancient world, women were nothing. And no matter how hard we try, there's going to be tension between men and women, all the days of our life. There will never be complete, total egalitarianism, right? Just not going to happen. But here, he's saying that everyone, all people, all my covenant people are going to be treated the same. They're all going to inherit the same way. Men, women, slave, free, Gentile, Jew, everybody. No more stepchildren. All my son. Not in the same way Jesus is the Son. He's monogene. He's the only begotten Son. But we are in Him. And they will see His face. His name will be written 
on their foreheads. You see, those who follow the beast, what's written on their forehead? What? Six, 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 the mark of man. The mark of a man. But on our forehead is going to be written the King of glory, Jesus, whatever it is. In other words, it's right in the center of our life. Amazing. What about a presence? What about his presence? We've seen we've seen a place, seen a, a people, sons and daughters, adopted, inheriting, all together. What about a presence? This is why the reformer said Soli Deo Gloria. It's why Bach signed every one of his pieces of music, SDG, SDG, Soli Deo Gloria. Everything is to the glory of God. Every moment we live is to the glory of God. Every minute at work, every minute at play, every minute, every minute is for God's glory. He's redeeming it all now and he's going to finish redeeming it in the future. What about this presence, that which we long for, that which I as the pastor of Christ the King, my singular prayer every day, if I don't pray any other prayer, if I don't have time or I forget or I'm just lazy, whatever it is, I can promise you this, I pray every day, God, may your presence be in our building. I don't care if there's a thousand people or 20 or just me, but I don't want to come here without your presence, as great as it is, yeah? as great as it is. And it is great. But without Him, you have nothing. It's empty. Listen. Verse 4. One of the most beautiful verses you will ever read in the Bible. In Greek, this is how it is literally translated. It's an emphatic. He Himself will wipe away every tear. He uses a double emphatic you, you, or he, he. He Himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That means that His presence in your life, I don't know all of you, I know some of you, and I know there has been heartache that we cannot even begin to imagine. Loss and pain and fear and doubt. And what this is saying to you is, do not give up. My presence is, is already there. I'm waiting for you. And when you come into my presence, me, myself, I will come to you. I will brush those tears from your eyes. Myself. No angel. Nobody's going to do it. You're going to be gazing directly into His glory. The thing Moses wanted to see and was forbidden, you're going to be able to see fully, face to face. And while you're doing that, He's going to brush away all that pain and hurt and darkness. Brushing it away. Not that you'll ever forget it. He wants you to remember. Remember you're redeemed. How can you live like that? That's really the question I think the Reformers were trying to answer with their pillars. I think they wanted to know, how do we live like that? And let me just say this. And then we can go have Holy Communion. Listen, how do, you, how do you really get your arms around this? Does it just sound like pie in the sky? No. Listen, here's how you do it. Before ever, before ever there was a new Jerusalem that came down, there was a son who came down, a baby, 
in a manger. The trajectory of the gospel is from heaven to earth. Me for you. Before ever, before ever there was a river crystal clear like a mirror, there was a filthy Jordan River that sinners stepped into with all of their sins. And John and the disciples of Jesus washed their sins away like we did for little Eric. Washed them away. And we say to the world, our sins went in that filthy water. And when Jesus stepped into that water, before ever there was a crystal river, there was that river that the beautiful, pure Son of God stepped into for you, for to love you, to be baptized like you, for you, as you. Before ever there was light and glory, no need for the lamp or sun. Darkness fell on this earth from noon till three. Before ever there was access, before ever the, 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 the temple uh, curtain was torn, before ever the gates were opened, before there was ever access, before there was ever adoption, there was an only begotten Son who stepped out of His place off the throne of God and said to His Father, Your will be done. I will do your will. I will do what always pleases you. Before ever, folks, there was soli deo gloria for us, for the Reformation. Before it was ever in anybody's mind, soli deo gloria. There was humiliation for him. A cross bearing sin so that we could have glory. That which we were created for originally. So you could be fulfilled. Meaning brought back into your life. Soli Deo Gloria. Jesus left, left His place. He was rejected by His people. And on the cross, He lost. God has never forsaken you. No one in this room has ever experienced the forsakenness that Jesus underwent on the cross when He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was left with absolutely nothing but those words on His lips, My God. He lost His access. The great Presbyterian minister, one of my favorite authors, and I love this man, he's long dead. James Stewart said this, It is a glorious phrase. He led captivity captive. The very triumphs of his foes, it means, he used for their defeat. He compelled their dark achievements to subserve his ends, not theirs. They nailed him to the tree, not knowing that by that very act they were bringing the world to his feet. They gave him a cross, not guessing he would make it a throne. They flung him outside the gates to die, not knowing that in that very moment they were lifting up all the gates of the universe to let the king come in. They thought to root out his doctrines, not understanding that they were implanting imperishable in the hearts of men the very name they intended to destroy. They thought 
They had God with his back to the wall, pinned and helpless and defeated. They did not know that it was God who was tracking them down. Jesus did not conquer in spite of the dark mystery of evil. He conquered through it. Soli Deo Gloria. Will you trust Him? Will you trust the only glory that ever existed in this entire universe? Will you trust Him for your glory? I pray you will. Father, uh, we love you and thank you for your kindness and mercy that endures forever. And we ask you, Father, to feed us in our hearts by faith as we come to this table, this banqueting table where we see with our eyes, touch with our hands, taste with our lips the glory of God, Jesus Christ, His body for us, His blood for us. Father, feed us in our hearts by faith, I pray. And draw your people in a way that you never have before. I pray that you'll draw all of us tight into your bosom. That we might live every moment of our life, soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone, for Jesus. Amen.